Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. All right. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Good. Super. You guys must still be eating because you guys didn't want to say hi back. It's fine. Hi. Hmm. Hey. Cool. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, I have made a commitment to make sure that I not just talk fast like Jeff, but I also... Why do you make such a face at that? He says that himself. I'm not like picking on him. As if I'm like defending, you like need to defend his honor. I love him. He's the most handsome man I've ever seen in the whole world. This is recording right now. I'm really happy about it. Don't cut this out later, Jeff. All right. So, hey, anyway, welcome to Awaken Church for our family gathering. We're going to go ahead and jump on in. We are, as I said before, we are in the very end of the Kings and Kingdoms series that we are doing. And tonight, we're going to talk about a king by the name of Asa. Um, he is, in case you're curious, kind of where we are in the genealogy, Asa is the great, great, great grandson of King David. So he is a part of the lineage that will eventually uh, be a part of King Jesus coming into play thousands of years, about a thousand years later. And so uh, he is someone who represents the king in the southern kingdom. And so we've had the divide of the kingdoms, in case you're not aware at this point, uh, Judah in the south and the northern kingdom obviously is in the north. And so during this period of time, Asa rules for 41 years. Just to give you perspective, uh, Asa was a mostly pretty good king. At this point, once the kingdoms kind of divide up, there's mostly bad kings at this point. In fact, the northern kingdom runs through about seven kings in the 41 years that the southern kingdom of Judah holds on to King Asa, right? So just as a perspective, there's a lot of turnover in the north, Asa's holding down the fort in the south, and for the, again, the most part, I would say if you had to kind of divide his life up, there are three episodes. In the first two, he is a good, God-fearing uh, uh, king who loves his people, loves the Lord, and walks in that. The last third, um, that's not so much the case. In some ways, Asa reminds me a lot of Solomon, but probably without such extremes, um, especially when it comes to more of the negative side of just kind of um, detaching your heart at times from the Lord. But the first two episodes, if you will, so roughly I would say 30-ish years of uh, Asa's life, rule, and reign as the king, he really does reflect the heart of his great-great-great-grandfather, David, as a man who really does give his full heart over to the Lord and walks in that. If, you're, if you want to follow along, uh, or if you want to read the, the passages later on, 2 Chronicles chapter 14 is where we're going to start tonight. I'm going to read two passages, one from the beginning of Asa's rule and reign, and one from the end. It'll also be up here on the screen in a second. But uh, again, 14 through 16, so those three chapters are really all that we have on the life of King Asa. Um, and in that process, there's some really interesting things that happen. We're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty history. I'd love to, but that's really not what family gatherings are for. 
So I would encourage you to go read it on your own. I just want to kind of pick the beginning and the, and the end and then talk through some heart pieces for us tonight and then hopefully leave you guys with some healthy dialogue for you guys to kind of talk through at your tables. Does that sound good? So the first one here is actually one of, the, one of my favorite passages actually in all of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, and so it's super simple, but it's very distinct when you look at the lineage of all these kings, how this king gets a very specific, um, uh, I guess he's assigned a role, right, within the Lord and how the Lord and him have a relationship together. And so here it is in, in chapter 14, verse 2, Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. And then it goes on to say, he removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Uh, to summarize verse 3, basically, King Asa is cleaning house, right? He's going through, um, whether it was uh, any of the previous kings before him, who had kind of began to live this very... Uh, they're worshiping other gods, these idol worship, right? All these things that were happening, he kind of comes on the scene. And in his first 10 years, the verse of one, it, it begins by actually saying that there was 10 years of peace in the rule and reign of King Asa. And so there's not only peace in the kingdom, you have a king who's walking with the Lord, which again is very abnormal to this part of, the, uh, of Israel's story. And then finally, we see one of the first things that happens is he kind of begins to clean house. If you read the story of Asa, he does all kinds of things. He goes and works with prophets. He helps conquer other countries in the process, reestablishes borders. He also, his mother, the, the queen basically, or ex-queen, I'm not really sure what you want to call her, but the mother of Asa, who had been a part of a lot of really terrible, uh, evil things happening in the kingdom, he goes to her and says, you're done. Like, you're no longer having any influence. Like, could you imagine going to your mother and being like, you're done. I need you to move to the side because you're no longer uh, helping us bring in, usher in what God's best is for the kingdom. That's a fun conversation, right? So I thought we'd illustrate that. So Lisa and Jeff, if you guys will come up, I'm just kidding, totally kidding. <laughs> But in all honesty, it's a tough conversation, right? Like, he has to go to his mother and basically excommunicate her, not only out of leadership, but out of the kingdom, because of the evil things that she had been doing, not walking with the Lord in the process. Um, in the midst of this, as I kind of studied and read through this story, a couple of things jumped out to me where I want to kind of carry the conversation with us tonight. And the first one is pretty simple, right? There's a heart uh, piece to Asa's life that we see, in my mind, very much parallels with David's heart. Uh, he was fully devoted to the Lord, especially in the first uh, 25 to 30 years of his life. There is clear dedication, completely being dedicated to the Lord in the process. And as a result, the Lord rewarded that dedication in the process. What is so easy to read in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, that sometimes isn't as noticeable for us, let's just call it the New Testament, right, is, and for us in modern church today, is we don't really use these terminologies of idols and other gods. It's not common practice for us to use that in our everyday language. It's used in the church world and church uh, language, but in the average day world, we don't talk about other gods or idols, right? That's not a common thing you'll hear just at the, you know, water cooler at work kind of a thing. You won't hear that kind of language uh, unless you work in a church or a Christian organization, right? Um, but at the end of the day, those things are absolutely very prevalent in the Hebrew Scriptures, 
but the principles are, are still applicable today, right? We don't use that language, that terminology, but those things are absolutely true today. And so there's a guy, if you want to write this down, uh, if you're taking notes, there's a guy who wrote a book called The God of War, um, and it's a guy named Kyle Eidelman. And it's not about uh, the wars as you would think about. God's not, it's not about whether or not God is pro-war or against it. It's actually just talking about this idea that God is at war for our heart, and God is trying to constantly fight against the things that we put in place of God, because God is a God who constantly is moving towards us. He's for us, um, right? You think about the parable that Jesus tells about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one. Our God is constantly in a posture of advancing towards us. Um, and, you know, I actually had a conversation this past week with someone who I was talking about this concept of moving towards people, partially in light, if you were here, due to the love of our fear conversation that we had with Dan White, just this idea of moving towards other people. And someone said, what about the prodigal son where God just kind of sits back and waits for the son to show up? And I said, that's a really good like, example to push back, but I think there are two very different scenarios at play here. And again, I don't have time to get into all of it tonight, but I just want to come back to this idea that I think God is always moving towards us. But in this book, uh, God of War, he talks about this idea that we have constantly found a way. This is not an American problem. This is a human problem for us as individuals, male, female, doesn't matter where you are, to constantly find ways of distractions and other things in our lives that we are pursuing them. And as a result of our pursuit, they begin to form idols in our lives. And these idols become gods, and these gods begin to take the place of our Lord and Savior. And often, if you look back at our kind of our lives, I think if we were all, to be honest, because I'll be the first one raising my hand here to say this, if we're honest, you look back for a second, you're like, man, why do I feel like I'm disconnected from God right now? Why, why is there moments where I feel like there's some distance between the Lord and I? And I think it's because I am pursuing other things, not always bad things, right? But I'm pursuing other things, and those other things have become idols, have become gods. And so when I feel like I'm distant from God, it's often because there's been competition in my heart, and I've not been aware of it. And so all of a sudden, there's this self-assessment that takes place, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Right? And now it's a little late, <laughs> to be honest. And i got to go back and do some, some damage control. So I want to read you this quote here from Kyle Eidelman. Um, it's not going to be up on the screen. I just want you to actually just to listen to it. Okay? So if you're distracted, close your eyes, but listen to this quote. He says, one of our problems is identifying the gods in our lives. It, one of the problems in identifying the gods in our lives is that their identities no longer, or sorry, cannot read tonight. Let me read it over. One of our problems in identifying the gods in our lives is that their identities not only lack the usual trappings of religion, they are also things that are often not even wrong. Is God against pleasure, sex, money, power? These things are not immoral, they are amoral. They are morally neutral until they are not. You could be serving something that is in itself very commendable. It could be family or career. It could be a worthy cause. You could even be feeding the hungry and healing the sick. All of these are good things. The problem is that the instant something takes the place of God, the moment it becomes an end in itself rather than something to lay at God's throne, it becomes an idol. When someone or something replaces the Lord God in the position of glory in our lives, then that person or thing, by definition, has become our God. So these things are sneaky, right? And this is the problem if you look through the whole story of Asa. Again, we're not going to have time to unpack it all tonight, but just to give you the cliff note version, for two-thirds, he's pretty good about identifying, keeping the right people and community around him to help him identify things in his own life and in the kingdom that need to be looked at. 
getting rid of idols, removing these false gods in the people's lives. And yes, some of them are obvious, like, you know, these, these shrines, right? And some of them are these things in their backyards, these, these posts and things like that. But other things are more sneaky that have kind of crept in. And I think for all of us, right, if we're taking just some thoughts tonight here, we all have some things probably in our lives where like, yeah, I, I know I struggle with that, right? Like that's, <laughs> we know that pride's my issue, right? We know that fill in the blank is my issue. We know that I struggle with this, right? And there's some things that we're probably all able to say like, yep, yeah, that's a common one for me to come back to. But at the end of the day, I think there are a lot of sneaky ones that kind of lay at the core of it. And we end up trying to fix these little problems, right? These little one-off branches off the, the, the stem. But the reality is the thing that it grows from is actually the idolatry of whatever the core of it is, right? So what I mean by that is I, I can be angry with someone at work, right? But the anger actually comes from a sense of insecurity around pride. And until I deal with the pride issue at the core of it, I'm going to continue to have an anger problem. I work with people around me when I feel threatened in my problems with inferiority of complex or whatever the case is. Does that make sense? So for all of us, getting back to the root of the sin or the problem in our life is something that honestly makes us closer to the Lord in the process. And the moment that we stop identifying these and being able to notice them, then in those moments we begin to become distant and distracted from the Lord. And so I'm just going to ask you the basic question here tonight, um, and we're going to skip the final verse here, um, and then I'm going to come back to these questions again. But the question that I want us to start wrestling through tonight is, what are the gods in your life that compete, sorry, that compete with the Lord of your life? What are the gods in your life that compete with the Lord of your life? If you have a hard time identifying what the gods are in your life, then maybe the first question would be simply, what are you pursuing? What are the things in your life that you are pursuing? Is it advancement in your career? Is it more money? Is it to get out of debt? Is, I'm using financial ones. Is it a family? Is it a relationship? Is it um, pleasure? Is it to be numb because you're having a hard time with work and so you pursue just disconnecting, right? What is it for you? And so the second question here is simply this, what are you pursuing? And you can ask them in whatever order you want to, but they're absolutely connected. What are you pursuing and what are the gods in your life? Some of them, again, are going to be noticeable and some of them are not going to be as noticeable. So let me read you this final verse here from St. Chronicles, the end of Asa's life here. Uh, it's found in chapter 16, verse 9. It's actually a verse that some of you may be familiar with, at least the first half of it before. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And this is the prophet speaking to Asa. He says, What a fool you've been. From now on, you will be at war. We as Christ followers are at war, right? And I think that's something that we may know that intellectually in our heads, uh, and sometimes our hearts reveal that, but I don't know if we live as if we're constantly at war, whether it's against our flesh or against uh, the evil in this world. And the reality is, for each of us, those things look different, which is why it's not as simple as, hey, if you just do these 10 things, you'll be all good, right? Because your path and your journey that God has you on is unique to you. But it also means the enemy has a tactful plan that's unique to you. And understanding what things he puts in your path to trip you up, to cause you to have idols, which leads to gods in your life, which ultimately leads to God competing for your life and your heart, which ultimately pulls you away from community, which pulls you away from the Lord himself, 
and ultimately begins to separate you from a lot of things and causes you to feel distant, right? And so the final thing I want to give us tonight, you get those questions back up here, Kelly. As you're wrestling through these two questions, it's easy for me to ask you these two questions, but where I would like for you to go tonight at the end of your conversation, if you have time, or at least to take home, and there's paper and pen on your table, I'd love it if it's for the first two or three minutes of our conversation, you guys were quiet, and you just wrote down some thoughts from tonight. So there's paper and pens there. Maybe you start writing down. Maybe you're not ready to talk through all the idols that maybe that you've been revealed in this moment that you want to think more about, but at least write some things down. What are you pursuing? What are some of the things in your life that are competing for God? This doesn't make you a bad person. I need you to hear what I'm saying. We are all constantly having to figure out what are the things competing for our lives. So I need us to identify them because at the end of this, at the benediction tonight, I want to give you a very powerful truth that I think we can all leave here tonight. But think about these questions through the three rhythms that we have. Healing in, raising up, and sending out. How can God bring healing into your life by you identifying idols? How can God raise you to your fullest potential by you acknowledging these and asking community to hold you accountable? And how can you be sent out well to help other people heal and be raised to their potential by you understanding the tools that God wants to help you be fully committed to him? Does that make sense? So look at it through those three lenses. Have a conversation. There's a lot of room for you to roam this conversation, but at least take two minutes and do some internal evaluation first. Um, and again, I, I would ask you to write down some of those on a pen and paper just so that you can have something to take home with you and kind of keep the evaluation going. Does that sound good? After that, we'll do a panel discussion. So spend about 20 minutes at your tables over these next few questions. All right, thanks, guys. Perfect. We're going to go ahead and move into a time with a, a panel discussion. Um, so hopefully you had some really great dialogue with the people at your tables uh, to kind of talk through uh, what happened. There were some great things here at our table, so I have no problem filling in some of the blank space if we need to. But I want to give you guys a chance to kind of talk through what are some of the conversations that you guys have. Maybe there was a, an awareness that was gained. Maybe it was a separate question that was asked that really caused some great thoughts to come out. Uh, what was some of the conversations that you guys were having at your table kind of around the topic tonight? It was something that Philip actually said that kind of resonated with some of us here at the table that I had never really thought about things that I might be pursuing. And it's the emotional aspect of what are we creating an idol in that sense. And it's, you know, it, it, and that kind of drawn back that isolation. I never would have thought about that as being a idol thing and maybe what we're pursuing and why we're pursuing it and it be wrong. Another thing we talked about was time. Where, what are we pursuing in our time that is not for God? And Raymond brought up a good just eight hours of our week. Are we even in pursuit of God in those eight hours? And it makes you stop and actually think about your day and where we put him in that respect. Is he at the forefront and are we doing things to pursue him? So I thought it was a really just thought-provoking conversation we had tonight. Awesome. It's really good. Somebody else want to share? To Nicole's point, while someone else boldly raises their hand, um, I think this is a good time to reiterate, right? A lot of these things that probably came up in conversations, again, are amoral, meaning like family, career, um, 
going to the gym, helping your neighbor, whatever the case may be, these things are not bad things. It's easy to point to billboard sins in our life, like, yeah, I probably should stop doing this kind of a thing. But for most of us in the room, the conversation probably revolves around these other things and pursuing these other things probably not through the perspective or the lenses of where is God at in this this part of my life, being a parent, being a spouse, being uh, an employee, being a boss, whatever the case is, where is God in the midst of that? And when you're pursuing these things, is God driving that pursuit with you? Or is it that you're pursuing it and just hoping that God tags along for the ride? Like, where is the, who's in the driver's seat? Maybe a, a better question for some of us in the room, rather than just simply, what are you doing that maybe looks bad? That's not really probably helpful for most of us in the room, I would imagine. One of the things I liked about what Nicole said was, um, if you're having trouble figuring out what are the things that are that you're serving, that you're, uh, yeah, just look where your time is going. Um, we did a coaching article a few weeks ago that was challenging for me, and it was the difference between um, the idealized versions of ourselves and the realistic versions of ourselves. And we like to look at ourselves through like an idealized filter. Right. So we may say, like, I'm I want to be the kind of person that uh, lives my life on mission. Right. So we view ourselves as people that that, yeah, we're living on mission. But then if you actually look at what you're doing in your life is are the hours that you're spending, the energies that you're putting in, the things you're devoting yourself to. Are you actually living the life of somebody who is living on mission or are you just viewing yourself through that lens because it feels good to view yourself that way? And so I think we sometimes get stuck viewing the idealized versions of ourselves and don't always take a hard look in the mirror and see what is the realistic version of ourselves. Are the things that we want to be about and the things that we say that we're about, are, is our energy and our effort and our hours and our resources, are they actually flowing to those things or are they not? And are we just, yeah, looking at an idealized version of ourselves instead of the realistic one? Um, it was challenging for me. Uh, for sure, when we went th through that article. That's really good. All I could think about was this, like, complete invasion of privacy, right? But this drone just following me around, watching everything, and then, like, doing, like, a movie recap of my week, and me being like, wow, I would never have described myself that way based on what you're explaining in the article. And, you know, that would be, nobody wants to watch that movie, right? But it's true, like, we probably need to have that conversation with ourselves as a very helpful practice within this conversation. That's good. Who else wants to go? Oh, look at that. I love it. Um, one of the things that I do personally that I never realized too much until you brought it up um, was like when I, I get, those that don't know, I get very overwhelmed easily in my brain um, and it like spazzes out. And so I like to like, isolate myself with what you're talking like you're talking about isolating yourself I like to do that and like be away and avoid people and avoid everything um and sort of like go numb to it like you said but I and I think that it's okay to have like mental health recharge days and like all stuff like that um but when it gets to the point where like you don't want to do anything else and that is like the feeling you get from that takes away the feeling you get like from God and stuff you put that above then it begins to be be a problem, but that's one of the things that I realized today that I struggle with. Thanks, Philip. Uh, thank the Holy Spirit, but you're welcome. <laughs> All right, we have time for one more thought or question. 
Any other tables want to share? Um, I think my hardest part with this question was actually the fact that I spend so much time analyzing how well I'm putting God into these places that I think that anxiety and that worry and that takes over and away from where he should really be working in that area. And I'll like, I'll stress out and I'll be like, you know, I'm not doing this, this, and this enough. And God, you know, I, this is important for God in my life, but I spend so much time worrying about that, that I don't actually implement those things as well as I need to. It's really good. Reminds me just of that uh, Mary and Martha story, right? That God desires us to be in the presence with us and not so much the tasks that we're doing for him, but just existing with him in the spaces that he's called us to be in. The idol is doing the work for the Lord sometimes by not being present with the Lord, which seems so counter to our American Christian mindset. Cool. All right, we're going to go ahead and conclude uh, this. While the band gets up on stage, um, we're going to end with two songs of worship. But I just want to read to you guys this last kind of thought I had while preparing it. I was going to say it for the benediction, but I think Honestly, for me, uh, it's kind of cheating. I've already written this and wrote it down. So my reflection through worship tonight will be through this lens, and I want to give you that chance now um, instead of waiting to the end of benediction. And maybe uh, you had, could have had an opportunity during worship to maybe engage with this thought. But as you look back at the life of Asa, right, we talked about those three episodes, right, the first two and then the final one. What happens in the third episode of his life is that he had removed all these idols from his life and in uh, in the land, basically, uh, that had been placed before he got there. So he spent all this time creating peace for roughly, again, 30 years of his life, removing so much. But part of why King Asa drifts away from the Lord is that he did a really poor job of understanding this very important concept, and I want to give it to you tonight because I think it's something I'm personally very convicted of, is that so often as you wrestle through this idea of idols and gods and time consumption that distracts us or pulls us away from the Lord, it's not just simply about removing something out of your life. It's about replacing it. Let me say that again. God's not interested in you just removing something out of your life. He wants you to replace it. What are you going to replace that thing with in your life? Maybe it's a perspective change. Maybe it's something that actually needs to be removed. It's a noticeable idol, sin, God in your life that you need to be removed. But don't, if you just remove it, it'll leave, it will leave a void right in your life. So my challenge to you, if you reflect on the life of, of Asa, that we could kind of go back and say, what do we learn from this guy? It's that he did a great job of removing things in his life and in the kingdom. He did a really poor job of replacing them with things that God wanted him to put back in his life. Whether that's community, whether it's pathways like scripture and prayer and worship, maybe it's a relationship that God's called you to. I think back through those 12 pathways that we have here at Awakened Church and think, man, what am I trying to replace with this thing that I'm feeling is competing with the Lord? And maybe again, it's a perspective change, right? So maybe I just need to start praying on the way to work or maybe praying on the way home from work that while I'm entering into the space as mom, as, as spouse, that God would be present in this role that I'm in. Or maybe it's on the way to work that you put on worship music so that your heart is postured in a way that everything I do today is an act of worship to the Lord. Whatever it is for you, but replacing something, right? 
putting something back in. It's not just a matter of getting rid of the bad thoughts, getting rid of these things that are in my head or my heart. It's about putting the right things in it to take the place. And for me, that's the most convicting part as I walked away from looking at King Asa's life is that, God, what are you not only asking me to understand as an idol in my life, but what are you asking me to replace it with? Because I spent a lot of time as a good old boy Christian trying to get bad things out of my life, but I fail miserably sometimes at putting the things back in that God wants me to. And so I end up in this circular motion back and forth of getting things out of my life that are not supposed to be there, and I fall back into them within the timely period, all because I fail to implement this practical, so powerful principle of replacing something instead of simply removing it. Does that make sense? Maybe that's just for me, but I wanted to share that with you tonight as a way of God kind of speaking to me through this. So if you'll stand right now in this moment, we're going to worship, and then I'm going to pray. King Jesus, we have walked through this series over the last seven weeks, and I think you've taught us so much individually, corporately, communally. And so God, tonight we enter into this worship space, and we ask that your spirit would continue, God, to be so prevalent in these moments. There's been so many good things you've stirred, challenged, convicted, and most importantly, invited us into. And so, God, it is in your heart that you desire to, uh, for us to be fully committed, as we read about tonight. God, for all of us in the room, wherever there is a hole or an incompletion, when it comes to that very statement of being fully committed to you, God, I pray that tonight in this moment as we worship and we aim our worship back to you, that you would do something to help us solidify that statement being true, that when we walk out of here tonight, all of us would be able to say that my heart is fully committed to the Lord, that my life is fully dedicated to the Lord. God, may we not leave this space tonight without meeting and interacting with your Spirit so that we have the peace that when we leave here, we are empowered in community, we are healed, we are raised to our fullest potential, and we are sent out as children of the King. In your name, amen.